Let me go ahead and invite you, if you would, to take your Bible and find there in the New Testament, the book of 2 Corinthians in chapter number 5. 2 Corinthians chapter number 5. We're beginning a new teaching series this morning that just so, uh, just so very incredibly excited about called Life on Mission. And uh, really what we're praying for, in fact, uh, our team has really talked about this and did some praying and planning for probably the last four, maybe even five months. Because what we're praying is that this is much more than a new teaching series, much more than a study that we're going to walk through, but it creates really something, something bigger for our church. In fact, really something, uh, really almost creating a culture in our church here at Downtown Church that we would actually join God in his mission. So as we think about this new study that we're calling Life on Mission, we're going to do a few things. Number one, we're going to really discover together the mission of God. What is the mission of God? And when we learn together the mission of God, what we see is, is that God, if you're a Christ follower, is that God actually invites you and me to join him in his mission. And as we join God in his mission, we become ambassadors. We become really uh, everyday missionaries. Where you work, where you attend school, as you are out and about, we become everyday missionaries. So with that being said, we're going to begin this morning really thinking about the mission of God. What is the mission of God? And we actually see it all throughout the New Testament because the mission of God is something that's been going on for thousands of years. But we see very clearly, I think, a beautiful picture and understanding of the mission of God in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. So if you would, as we read our passage together, would you stand with me as we just honor the reading of God's word? Simply a reminder that downtown church, the very foundation of downtown church, is the word of God. That we base what we do as a church not on what I think or our campus pastors or deacons or elders, but really the ultimate authority is the word of God. So we honor that and just the reading. So as I read it out loud, we'll actually have it on the screens as well. But uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, beginning in verse number 13. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed, and behold, the new has come. And all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us here it is, the ministry of reconciliation. You may want to underline that phrase, the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world 
to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us, here it is, the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Again, as I try to encourage you every time we gather, take a pencil, a pen, something you can write with as we think this morning about living a life on mission, joining God in his mission. What is that? What is the mission of God? The mission of God, we're told here, is the ministry of reconciliation. That's the reason I ask you to underline that phrase. The mission of God is simply this, the ministry of reconciliation. The mission of God is to redeem and reconcile people to himself. That really is the mission of God. It is to redeem and reconcile people to himself. You may want to actually write that in the margin of your Bible. That is the mission of God. The mission of God is to redeem and reconcile people to himself. He began the mission thousands of years ago. Ultimately, 2,000 years ago, he sent his son to do what? To redeem and reconcile people to himself. And the beautiful thing about this ministry of reconciliation is that he actually invites me and you to join him in the mission of reconciliation. Reconciliation, as you kind of underline or circle that word throughout that passage in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the word reconciliation, it has to do with a, a change of relationship. It's when two people who are, who are enemies and they are reconciled. In other words, they become best friends. They move from hate to love. So the ministry of reconciliation is a ministry or is a reconciliation between sinful man and a holy God. And so what I want you to understand or think about is this. When, when we involve ourselves, when we engage in his mission, we glorify God. We glorify God when we engage in his mission the ministry of reconciliation. Now, there's a couple of phrases that I ask you to underline as we read through that passage. One is the ministry of reconciliation, and then I ask you to underline the phrase, the message of reconciliation. So really what I want you and I to do this morning is simply those two things. I want us to think about the ministry of reconciliation, and I want us to think about the message of reconciliation. Because again, reconciliation is the mission of God. It is his mission. And he invites us to be a part of and engage in his, his mission. All right, so the first thing let's think about this morning is the ministry of reconciliation. As we consider the, the, the ministry of reconciliation, what I want you to understand is this, is that we are compelled by his love. We are compelled 
to engage in the ministry of reconciliation by the love of Christ. That's really what he is referring to in verses 13 through 15. So let's just kind of look at that again. Let's think about it in terms of you and I being compelled by his love. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded that the one who died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So look at verse number 14, if you would, very quickly. The first part of verse number 14 says, for the love of Christ controls us. That word controls means to motivate. It means to compel. What the Apostle Paul is saying is that when you fully understand the great love of Christ, it motivates you. It compels you to be a part of or to join God in the mission. Love compels. True love motivates when I met Kathy over 30 years ago, one of the things that I even shared with my two sons is one of the things that I remember about our love, my love for Kathy and Kathy's love for me, is that I was motivated to be a better man. I was motivated to be a better person, to work harder, to really because I knew her relationship with Christ and her love for me and my love for her motivated me to be a stronger Christian. To not just be a better man and a, and a hardworking man, but to, to, to be a better Christian. Think about a, a loving family. When children know that they are loved by their parents, it compels them, it motivates them to to. To, 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 uh, to obey and to respect their parents ultimately. And so what I'm saying to you this morning with regard to our relation with Christ, that if you are in Christ, he has loved you exponentially more than your earthly family, more than you can actually understand. There's nothing that separates us from the love of Christ. As a matter of fact, what Paul is saying is that Paul says when you, when you begin to grasp the love of Christ, it motivates you, it compels you to want to join him in his mission of reconciliation. It compels you. When you understand the love of Christ, even on a, it's a beautiful morning, but it's a cold morning. But when the alarm goes off and if you consider for a moment his great love for you, you are motivated, you are compelled to come to church, to sing songs of worship and praise and to study his word. Why is it? It's because you're compelled by love. When the pastor says, listen, we're going to own this building at the end of this year. And at the end of this year, when we own this building, well, us and the bank, amen? But when we own this building, guess what we can do? We can set up these chairs and we can leave them. But until that time, we have to set up chairs. We've got to take them down. We've got to set up the nursery. We've got to set up the children's uh, church area. We've got to set up the, the youth room, the cafe. We have to do that. 
And so as our church is growing, and there's, 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 there's many of you that are here, there's, there's a lot of folks in the balcony, and so when the pastor says, listen, because of your love for Christ and your love for this church, would you be willing to help us every other week or be a part of a team that rotates? What we're saying to you is not really honestly, although we will try to guilt you at times to do things, our hope is, is that you're not, as Paul says, you're not compelled because of guilt, but you're compelled because of love. Your love for Christ and his love for you. In fact, what's interesting is, and what Paul alludes to in verse number 13, is that he was so compelled by the love of Christ, people thought he was crazy. They thought he was obsessed. That's the reason in verse number 13, this is the reason why he says, for if we are beside ourselves, and if we're in our right mind, in other words, listen, we are in our right minds. I know that I've been accused of being obsessive and crazy. It's just simply that I am under the control. I'm, I am compelled by the love of Christ. How much has Christ loved us? Because we've concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all has died. Look at verse number 14. It's a very interesting phrase, isn't it? For the love of Christ compels us. Because we have concluded this, that one has died for all. We know that. That's Christ. He died once and he died for all. Therefore, all have died. What does that mean? We know that Christ has died, but what does that mean? Because of his death, we've all died? We have all died. Because there was a time in which we were under the power and control of sin. We were under the control of our own self. But because of the death of Christ, guess what? We have died. By the way, when you are in Christ, you died to the power of sin. The power of sin... Praise God, no longer controls you. No longer has power over you. Last week was the celebration of baptisms. And you guys went downstairs and you gathered and you witnessed baptisms. Baptism is an outward expression of what happens to us inwardly, right? So what happens? We take this person, they go down into the water. They are buried, right? They died. They died to themselves. They died to the power of sin because of their faith and belief in Christ. They died. They are buried. The old Alan, when I was saved, when I was baptized, symbolically, Alan died. Died to the power of this world. Died to the power of sin. Died to the power of self. I died in Christ. I was buried. The old Alan was buried many years ago, and I was raised in Christ to live a new life in him. That's what that means. Paul says, listen, there's some people who thought I was obsessed, people thought I was out of my mind, but no, I'm just under the control. I'm just motivated and compelled by the love of Christ because he died in my place. He died on my behalf. Isaiah 53 in verse number five, just a reminder, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are what? Healed. So I love verse number 14. I love what 14 he says there. He says, for the love of Christ compels us, motivates us. 
Because we've concluded this fact, that the one has died for all, and therefore all have died. Look at verse 15. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him, for their sake, died and was raised. See, experiencing the love of Christ arrests our affections and compels us in such a way that it changes the entire purpose of our lives. We no longer live for ourselves, but we live for him who died and was raised for us. Sometimes I'll see people wear like hoodies or sweatshirts or t-shirts that'll say like, you know, uh, soccer is life. You know, cheerleading is life. Dance is life. Football is life. Hunting is life. I see those shirts and I see those things and I, and I think, you know, if, if that's what your life is all about, you're going to be disappointed. If you put all of your hope in a sport, it's going to fail you. But if you put your hope in Christ, the one who died for you, and making Christ the greatest priority in life, and you'll never be disappointed. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, put it this way. If God calls you to be a missionary, don't stoop to be a king. His love compels us, right? It compels us. He he says later, and we look at this, the love of Christ compels us to be his ambassadors, to represent him to this world, joining him in his mission of reconciliation with the message of reconciliation. So what I want you to understand about this this message of reconciliation, the reason downtown church is here is to communicate the message of reconciliation to downtown Mobile and ultimately to the world. God is on mission. His mission is redeeming and reconciling people to himself. And guess what he does? He invites us to join him and be a part of it. Paul says we're ambassadors. So the love of Christ should compel us to join him in the mission, the ministry. The love of Christ not only compels us, but here's the beautiful thing about the love of Christ. It absolutely changes us. It changes us. It changes who we are. It changes our our worldview. It it changes how we treat people. It it changes our, our own values and our own behavior. It changes us. That's what he means by beginning in verse number 16. Here's what he says. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself And gave us the ministry of reconciliation. So knowing the love of Christ transforms us. It first of all, in what he says here in verse number 16, it transforms our worldview. In other words, the love of Christ changes. Watch this, look up here. It changes how we see people. How we view people. Look at verse number 16 again. Verse number 16, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. The NIV really kind of explains it or gives a little bit of of clarity. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. 
Think about our world today. Think about how we see people today. I am a a white Anglo-Saxon middle-class male. You may, maybe, maybe you're a part of a particular political party. Maybe you drive a, a certain kind of car, you dress a certain kind of way, and that's how the world will see you. That's how the world will evaluate you based on those standards. Because those are the things that we can touch and see in the here and now. That's the reason we're hearing more and more today in our nation about what? Identity politics. Because we see people a certain way, a certain worldly standard. What Paul is teaching, what Paul is saying is that when you are compelled and when you're motivated by the love of Christ as an ambassador of reconciliation, you view and evaluate people by a much deeper level. You don't judge people based on how attractive they are or how much money they have, but you view every person From the inside. And the first thing that you wonder about a person is that I wonder if this person has been reconciled to God. I wonder if this person knows Jesus. Who cares about politics or social status? Who cares when every single human soul will live for all of an eternity? Every single soul will face the judgment seat of God. Every single human soul will one day meet God. That's what matters. So there's almost this thing that you and I have to pray as we're compelled by the love of Christ is that the worldly part of who we are, the fleshly part of who we are, is that when we see a person, the first thing that we may summarize is how they dress, how they look, what they're driving, When the first thing that we ask, Lord, God, help me to be so compelled and motivated by your message and your ministry of reconciliation. So when I see that person, the first thing that I wonder about is their soul. Are they reconciled with God? Because their soul is eternal. What they wear, where they live, what they drive is temporary. Their soul is eternal. There's only two kinds of people in this world, the saints and the ain'ts, the lost and the found, (coughs) enemies of God who are still enemies and enemies (coughs) whom God has reconciled to himself. When you are compelled by the love of Christ, it changes your worldview. It changes how you see people. But can I tell you this more importantly, or maybe just as important? It's not just how you see people, but watch this, how you treat people. It doesn't matter where I've lived in Texas or uh, in Dallas or, or Atlanta, Georgia or Jacksonville, Florida, Mobile, Alabama. This is very interesting. How people treat people. How supposedly Christians treat people. Especially, or maybe, maybe it's been interesting for me as I've observed, especially or maybe at a restaurant where I see it. The servers. There are some of you who have, who have served and you dread Sundays because the stingiest folks who leave no tips at all or very little are those church folks that come in after church. I hear that. I've heard that for years and years and years. It's interesting when I'm out with people and I see how they treat the wait staff. 
And I want to remind them, and I want to remind you, they just saw you pray at the table. So they know that you're calling yourself a Christian. And they're watching how you act and how you respond. So they... We got to be mindful that every soul is eternal. Every human being will someday meet God. Again, Charles Spurgeon put it this way. This is powerful. If sinners will be damned, at least let them leap to hell over our bodies. And if they'll perish, let them perish with our arms about their knees, imploring them to stay. If hell must be filled, at least let it be filled in the teeth of our exertions. And let no one go there unwarned and unprayed for. It's strong. It's powerful. So when you've been reconciled to God, the love of Christ transforms how you view people, how you treat people. But listen, it transforms you, your values, your behavior. That's the reason the very familiar verse in verse number 17. Listen, for those that are in Christ, it's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Everything changes about you. This is the image. This is the picture. This is what Paul is teaching. Is that you once, before Christ, before you were reconciled to God, you were a slave to sin. You were chained and in bondage to sin and to selfishness. And Christ, by his life, his death, his resurrection, set you free. Imagine in your mind if you were literally a slave that was chained. Every day, all day, you were in chains. But then suddenly, one day, you were set free. How you would feel, how you would, what you would experience. The feelings, the emotions that you were in bondage and in slavery, but now you've been set free. That's the picture. So when you understand the, the love of Christ and what he's done in you and through you, it changes how you see people and how you treat people. But, but even more and beyond all that, it has radically changed you because you were a slave and now you've been set free. The reason it is so difficult for me to understand for those who profess to be a Christian when there has never really been a change in their life. There's never been a change. It, it's people who have, they were in bondage and they were enslaved and they were, and they were set free. It would be like a person who was a slave and they were released from the bondage they were set free, but they made a decision to go back and be a slave again. When there is a person who says that they're a Christian, but there's been absolutely no change in their life, I'm thinking to myself, why would you go back? If you've been set free, why would you go back? Why would you go back to being a slave to sin? So that's the reason a little, a little bit later, by the way, in 2 Corinthians, you know what Paul says? Check and examine yourself and make sure you're in the faith. Because one of the evidences of truly being born again, reconciled to God, is verse number 17. 
You're no longer you. You've been radically changed, radically transformed. The old has passed away and behold, you are now new. Changed. That, by the way, is the message of reconciliation. Uh, the, the ministry of reconciliation. Let's talk about, let's just finish up our study this morning and think about the message. Because what I need you to understand this morning is that the message of reconciliation is a very specific message. It's a very specific message. What is the specific message? He actually tells us in verses 18 through 21. Beginning in verse number 18, it says this. And all this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting those trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And for our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So there's a specific message. If you and I, watch this, let's catch up. Here's the mission of God. The mission of God is God is reconciling and redeeming people to himself. He invites us to join him in his mission, this ministry of reconciliation. If we're going to engage, if we're going to be ambassadors and partners with God in this mission, then we have to know what the message is and we have to deliver it. The message of reconciliation, stay with me, the message of reconciliation is very, very specific. Let me tell you what it's not. Look up here. It is not God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. That's good and it's true, but that's not the gospel. The gospel is not ask Jesus to come into your heart and you'll go to heaven one day. That is not the gospel. We've talked about this before if you've been here any length of time. The word gospel means what? Good news. Here's what we know about good news. The message of reconciliation is filled with hope and joy, but it's an offensive message. In order to recognize that the good news is good, you need to first know how bad the bad news is. Here's the bad news. The bad news is this. Apart from Christ, you are an enemy of God. See, here's what I've discovered in my life. When I share the good news of the gospel, people do not mind hearing, and they're really not offended when you say, Jesus is the Son of God, Jesus died on the cross for your sins, three days later, rose again. That doesn't offend people. In America, that doesn't offend people, that you believe in Jesus. In fact, the majority of Americans say they believe in Jesus as well. Let me tell you where, where, the, where it gets a little sticky. is when you say to the person, without Christ, apart from Christ, you are an enemy of God. I'm not an enemy of God. I love God. I believe in God. 
I believe in God. But apart from Christ, if you are still in your sin and your selfishness, you are actually an enemy of God. You say, Alan, that is a, that is a, a strong language. Write this in your notes. Romans chapter 5, verse number 1. Verse 10. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Apart from Christ, in your sin, you are an enemy of God. That's the bad news. That's the bad news. The good news is, the good news is the specific message of reconciliation. Verse number 20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Verse number 20. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. See, before you can really understand how good the good news is, you've got to understand how bad the bad news is. And the bad news is you are an enemy to God. But here's the good news. You can be reconciled to God. Here's what I want us to do. We're going to take just a minute. We're going to take our last three minutes, and we're going to look at the specific message. Because how, or maybe answer this question. How are we reconciled? Verse number 21. Verse number 21. We're going to put it on the screen. Watch this. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let's keep that on the screen. Let's just kind of walk through it. This, by the way, this is the specific message. After you tell him the bad news, you're an enemy of God, this is the good news. This is what makes the good news so good. For our sake, on our behalf, for your behalf, he, that is God, made him, that is Jesus, to be sin. This is what the picture is. Keep this on the screen. This is the picture. God took his son and poured out his wrath on his son for your behalf. He took all of the sin that had ever been committed and all of the sin that ever would be committed and all of that punishment because God is a holy God. He took all of that sin and he poured out his wrath on his son so that Jesus would take the wrath of God and not you. He said, really, the wrath of God? Absolutely, the wrath of God. The wrath of God. The book of Romans actually talks about this wrath. The wrath of God. Romans chapter 8, uh, one, Romans chapter 1, verse number 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven. Talking about what was poured out on Jesus. Let's go back to that. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 21. For our sake, for your behalf, he made him to become sin, to take the wrath of God he who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Jesus, God's dear son. Now picture this. Many of you here have, have children. Imagine taking your child and you driving nails in their little hands and their little feet. I can't even imagine that. But that's what God did. God poured out his wrath on his son. The one who knew no sin, had never sinned. Tempted in every way, but never sinned. 
so that there is a reversal that takes place so that his righteousness can be credited to your account. There's a reversal that takes place. The one who is righteous without sin, the wrath of God poured out upon him, taking upon him the punishment for all sin. And his righteousness is credited to your account so that when he sees your account, there is no sin, there is no wrath, but the righteousness of God. That is the message of reconciliation. There's some bad in the bad news, but there's some really good in the good news. That's the message of reconciliation. And here's the beautiful part. God invites us. And when we are compelled by his love, we join him in this ministry, this mission. So here's what it looks like. Today is about a 30,000 foot look at the mission of God, the ministry of reconciliation. Next week, we get a little bit lower. And then week after that, we're going to place in your hands some resources on our website, Downtown Church website, some very practical resources so that every day as you live your life, you don't have to go to Africa, you don't have to pack up everything and move to Thailand unless God calls you. But every day, you can live as a missionary on mission, participating with God in his mission, the ministry of reconciliation. Let's bow our heads together. It could be that in this understanding this morning, that maybe you would say to me, Alan, there's really never been a change in my life. 2 Corinthians says, uh, Paul says, examine yourself and see if you're in the faith. Because there are so many who say they believe, but there's never really been a change. The old has never really passed away, and the new has never become a reality. What about the love of Christ? Does it compel you? Has it changed you? Paul said, it so compels me that people have thought I'm obsessed. But I'm in my right mind. I just know the bad of the bad news and I know the good of the good news. And I'm no longer an enemy of God. And his love for me, it has changed me. The invitation is two part this morning. It's for us to examine ourselves and see if we're in the faith. Have you been reconciled to God? Number two, would you begin praying now about joining God in his mission of redeeming and reconciling people to himself. Let's join him. Let's 
a life on mission. Stand with me as I pray. Heavenly Father, in these next moments, God, I pray that you find us obedient to your word. For these here this morning that, God, perhaps they they believe in God. They believe in Jesus, but they've never been reconciled. There's never truly been a change in their life. They've never really been set free. Today, they would choose. They would choose you. Lord, I pray for those in this room who need to partner with you in the ministry of reconciliation to be an ambassador. Let us live on mission. I pray that this altar, Lord, would be, and this room would be filled with prayers being lifted up on behalf of others. And for those who need to be reconciled, would take a step of courage and come to this pastor and come to faith in Christ. God, thank you for what you've done and what you're going to do. In Jesus' name. Let's worship.